At Green Tree, I'm Pastor Tom Ricks. I'm one of the, mem- um, one of the members. I am actually a member. Of the- do you want your notes or do you want me to just leave these here? You, you going to do the second service? Okay. Most people usually steal my sermon notes when they take their notes back with them, so I'm glad that that didn't happen this morning. Um, we're glad to have you with us this morning. We're in the middle of a sermon series on discipleship, and we're in a subtopic of worship and discipleship. We're going to be continuing that this morning. We're going to be in two passages. If you want to kind of turn to one in your Bible, if you have it, and then put your thumb in the other, we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 5 for just a couple of minutes, and then we're going to be most of our time in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, the passage will be up on the screen uh, in just a minute. Now, if you're visiting this morning or you haven't been around the Christian faith for a while, uh, we're going to toss around a couple of terms that are very familiar inside the family, so to speak. But uh, I've been in situations where I've, I've been listening to people talk, and I shake my head yes, and I really have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. As we've been sitting in lots and lots of meetings over the, the blueprints and the architecture of, of the building plan that we're developing, you, you sit in a meeting and they start talking about engineering stuff, or they start talking about acoustical stuff, you know, that's the S1941, and you know, of course it is, absolutely, everybody knows that, you have absolutely no idea what they're talking about and how much money we just spent or didn't spend, but you, uh, you want to try to play along. Well, I don't want you to have to play along this morning. So if you're, uh, again, if you're kind of visiting, trying to figure out Christianity, you're new to the faith, uh, we're going to use a couple words which are synonymous with each other. Uh, one is devotion or devotional, uh, and the other is quiet times. Now, when we say that, what we mean in the Christian community is our time in private worship. Uh, we don't just worship on Sunday morning when we're gathered together, although this is a great time of worship and celebration and a chance to catch up with each other. Uh, but we also uh, want to worship God privately. We want to study God's Word. We want to spend time in prayer for ourselves, for our friends, for our family members, that sort of thing. And we call that having devotions, having a devotional, or having a quiet time. Uh, so when I use that language, you'll at least know what it means. And the other good thing that I'm going to let you in on now is that all the, all the Christians sitting around you are real, real nervous right now. If you actually went and shook hands with them, they would be a little bit sweaty because when you use those terms in the context of a question like, how's your devotional life? How are your quiet times this week? Christians panic because sometimes they're really good at them and sometimes they're really bad at them. Sometimes... You know, they've, they've hit the big seven, and they've had one devotional every day of the week, and, and other weeks, they're, they're, they're more like the Dodgers, they're 0 for 7, and it's just a real, or, they, or they, they get a few, but not enough, like the Georgia Bulldogs. I could go on all morning this morning. Was it not like the best 24 hours in sports that St. Louis has ever experienced? We, if Jesus would come back right now, it would, just, it would be perfect. We could just quit while, quit while we're ahead. But, but Christians, when you start asking about their devotionals, they start getting real nervous, like, oh, man, did I, where is my Bible? I know it's somewhere in the house. Uh, or, or they get kind of real puffed up. Yeah, I, I've actually got a devotional book that I've been studying, uh, and I'm, I'm sure that you've been doing it. So there's all kinds of nervousness that comes with this. The question that we want to wrestle with this morning is not um, how your quiet time is going, or how your devotions. I want to put everybody at ease, if at all possible. It's not even instructional. How do you worship privately? Pastor Nathan that was just up here, if you're new to the faith or you're you're a little kind of dry and you haven't really studied anything in particular lately, it's really kind of gotten your attention and you want some help on 
uh, the forming or, or the, maybe the reinvigorating of, of your devotional life, your quiet time life, uh, Nathan's got a, a billion resources at his disposal and happy to share with you. So this isn't even really how do, how do we do it. Rather, we want to ask the question, what is private worship? And I think that definition is actually going to surprise us just a little bit. And then we want to ask a couple of follow-up questions. How do, we, um, how do we avoid false worship when it comes to our own private devotional time with God? And how do we embrace God's design for us? So what is it? How do we avoid what's wrong? And how do we embrace what, what God has intended for us? That's uh, where we're going to head this morning. But before we jump in, let's just spend a moment asking God to uh, illumine our hearts and minds to what he wants to teach us today. Father, we are so grateful this morning for your word because it does not condemn us. It does not leave us as orphans. It does not ridicule us, nor does it leave us without hope. But your word is life-giving. Your word brings meaning to every area of this life, and the assurance of the next. So, Father, as we hear many words throughout the week, some make more sense to others, some seem ridiculous, some, based on our political standings, we like or we don't like. Father, we pray that your eternal word, the word of God which carries all of the weight of the universe, would penetrate our hearts and our souls and our minds this morning. Father, I I don't want to, we don't want to play at worship, and yet we are tempted to do just that. We are tempted to focus on the wrong things, to focus on reputation instead of the inner, the inner man, the inner woman. So I pray, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts this morning, that your word would, would bring life to us. Father, I pray that you would forgive me for my sins. I ask that they would not stand in the way what you want us to know and to understand this morning. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would be our teacher because we pray in your name and through your grace. Amen. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, we get a little snippet in the life and ministry of Jesus, and this is going to be the, the context for our conversation. So this is still a bit of an introduction. Speaking about Jesus, hear the word of God. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, the report of Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. A couple of things that we need to see in the life of Jesus that actually uh, bear some familiarity with our own lives in 21st century America. Notice the, the demanding pace of Jesus' life. He's traveling from city to city. A lot of you get on airplanes uh, and go and do business 
all around the country. He is he has a pressure-filled job. A lot of you know what that means to uh, have the feeling of the kind of the weight of the world on you with your responsibilities. And here's Jesus as he is kind of bursting onto the scene, and people are sitting up and taking notice, and miraculous things are happening. And 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 with this continued growth in his fame, so to speak comes a continued growth in the demands on his time. Uh, if you've ever been successful at anything, you think, boy, if I, could, if I could just be successful for a while, if I could just accomplish this, then I could sit back and rest. <laughs> and those of us that have been around for just a little while know uh, how that isn't true. <laughs> the, the greater success you have, the more opportunities you have to serve, to, uh, to give what you have, to, to offer your abilities, and, and with Success comes even greater responsibility. And so we see Jesus, just his days are filled to the brink. But notice his need for a close connection with God. In verse 16, it says that as these people were just pressing on in Jesus, and you get the idea of day in and day out, it's almost like he'd wake up, he'd walk outside, kind of open the, open the door, so to speak, and you know there'd be a couple thousand people just waiting to hear him. People had traveled all night, had traveled early in the morning to be with him, and late in the night, right, just about when he thought he was done, uh, maybe just sitting down for a minute to catch his breath, and there's a knock on the door, and there's another group of folks that want to see him. It just almost never stopped. And yet, look at, look at the priority of Jesus in verse 16. But he would withdraw to, a desolate pla- to the desolate places, and he would pray. And if you read the Gospels, you see that lifestyle over and over again. Jesus continually taking time to get alone with his father. Now, there's some differences between us and Jesus, and there's some similarities, and I want to just briefly mention both of them. The differences are that Jesus, as the son of God, the the one that came from God, that is equal to God, is not worshiping God. And we're talking about private worship this morning. We talk about our devotion. We talk about our, our quiet time. We're talking about individually worshiping God. Jesus is not worshiping the father. He is on equal plane with the father. But he is continuing to to, uh, have intimacy with the Father and focus on the Father because Jesus is also fully human. Jesus is fully God and fully human. And if you read read in uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2 in the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus lays aside that that, uh, eternal being of his when he comes to earth and he takes on human limitations. And so while Jesus is different than us and he's, he's not worshiping God, uh, but there's an there's a intimacy uh, that is, is important to him. Uh, he is incredibly busy, physically and emotionally drained, and he needed to connect with his father through quiet, alone time. He needed that time for, for prayer and for reflection. If you, uh, if you go to, and I'm, I'm just going to read these verses very quickly, if you go to John 6, and I can't remember if I put those in the outline or not. I don't think I did. So just listen to these verses for a second. In John chapter 6, Jesus says this in verses 38 through 40. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. He's talking about the Father. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on that last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. I will raise him up on that last day. I would venture to say there were, there were numerous times in Jesus' earthly ministry where the human side of Jesus was challenged to really believe that was true. Where the, the Pharisees were attacking him, where, where people were uh, accusing him actually of blasphemy 
actually uh, of saying things that were a curse to God. I'm sure there are moments where Jesus was tempted to doubt, and that's why this, this alone time, <laughs> this time of complete focus on his intimacy and his relationship with his Father, from a human perspective, was exactly what Jesus needed, and he sets the example for us. Because if our Lord Jesus needed time with his Father, how much more do I need? <laughs> if the Lord Jesus knew that it was important for him to get alone and sit with his Father and pray and consider the, the matters of, of such importance in his life, how could I think that I would need any less time? How would I think that I am too busy for that? And yet those are the temptations in my life. I'm tempted towards self-sufficiency. Well, how can, how can the life of Jesus and the teaching of God's word help me avoid that temptation and rather benefit from a rich, intimate relationship with my Father? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what got Jesus all the way through, was his relationship with his Father. So with that context in mind, I want us to go to Matthew 6 this morning, and I want to look at three temptations that we have that move us away from true individual worship of God and see how we can avoid those things and, and move us in a direction that will bring us closer to our Heavenly Father. Now, we're going to look at three acts of private worship. These aren't the only acts of private worship, but there are three that Jesus talks very explicitly about in Matthew chapter 6. So these three acts of private worship should be in the life of every disciple. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, these three apply to you. To a greater or lesser degree, they should be existent in each one of our lives. And the three areas of worship that we're going to look at to which Jesus speaks are giving, prayer, and fasting. Each one of them comes with a warning and each one of them comes with a reminder of the true benefit if our worship is actually honoring God and is focused on Him. We have the opportunity to grow in our worship, but also each one of these holds a risk for a corruption of our worship, which would lead to our spiritual harm. Let's look at these three. The first one that I want us to consider is that Jesus calls us to avoid the temptation of insincerity. Look at the first four verses of Matthew chapter 6. Beware, Jesus says, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then he gets specific. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand Know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What Jesus is asking us to consider this morning in this first aspect of our private worship is, what is our real goal? What is it that we're really after? What are we trying to accomplish when we do something that honors God, like caring for someone else's physical needs? Those who are uh, in other places in Scripture are, are defined as the widow or the orphan. When we, uh, when we live out compassionate lives, when we see someone who is hurting and we, and we go to their aid, what is the true, genuine motive of our hearts? Jesus says, be careful. Because the goal could be, if you don't look deep enough and if you aren't careful enough, the goal could, could be people's approval. Beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. 
if my goal in, in caring for others is not the worship of God, but rather the approval of man, then I will miss the blessing that God has for me in my personal worship life with him. Is my desire to worship God through, through a genuine, a real generosity? If not, the facts are I don't really care for God, nor do I care for the person I'm helping. I'm simply using both of them as a stepping stool to my own fame, to my, to my own approval of others. I'm doing it in the name of God, so I look like a good church religious kind of person, right? And I'm helping this needy person who can't help themselves. Boy, oh boy, am I just a sweetheart of a guy that would, that would sacrifice so someone's going to be able. And that's my goal, <laughs> for you to like me, for you to say, boy, that Tom, he's really something, isn't he? Look at how he cares for others. Rather, Jesus says what we're after is a private giving. It's the, it's the, the, and Jesus goes to the absurd. It's the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. Uh, Jesus, Jesus uses the absurd to make his point. It should be that much just between you and your father. It should be that quiet, but it should be an irrepressible joy. It should be a giving that, that just has to happen in your heart and in your mind because that's the way you can respond in thanks to what God has done for you. Michael Green, who has written a commentary on the book of Matthew, says this, It goes without saying that disciples will be generous givers, but they will not make their donations in a way that will draw attention to themselves. They will not do it publicly to gain respect. It will meet a real need. It will be offered in love and gratitude to the Heavenly Father who has given us all we have. Notice the focus. And Green's exactly right. What he does is, is follow what Jesus says here, and he takes the focus. The primary focus is not the needy. The primary focus is giving glory to God. And because God has called me to care for the needy, and because God has cared for my needy soul, I can then reflect my worship of him by caring for someone else, but my focus is always on my Father and my desire to walk with him in intimacy. Um, you're going to get a book in a, in a couple of weeks that we're going to hand out to the entire congregation to, uh, to study together. And uh, I, the, the illustration I'm going to give is in that book, and so I'm going to kind of ruin two pages for you because I'm going to tell you ahead of time. But there's a story in this book about uh, a young couple who wanted to adopt a child, but they didn't quite have the funding. They had a good portion of it, but they didn't have enough, and they were thinking about um, you know, just postponing for a couple of years until they could raise the money. And an elderly couple in their church came to their house and knocked on the door and said, hey, we heard this from one of the pastors. Could you tell us a little bit about your story? So they sat down and had a cup of coffee, invited them in, and they talked a little bit about what they were doing and, and you know, how they were both kind of working jobs, but it was probably going to take another year or two. And there was no ask from, from the young couple. They were just explaining it. And uh, the next day, there was a, a letter in their mailbox with a check for the $10,000 they needed to finish this adoption. And the, the couple that gave it said, we would just ask one thing. Don't tell a soul where it came from. We just, God's given us this, and we want to honor him by helping you change someone else, else's life. But, but please, let's just keep that between us. And I, and I just see the heart of a disciple there. I see the, the passion of one who kind of looks at their life for what it really is apart from Christ and says, oh my goodness. Look at what God has done for me. Look at the grace on which he, he has bestowed upon me. How could I not help someone else? But don't blow the trumpet. I don't need to because it's about my worship of God, and that's where my true joy is. 
in, in your private worship? Is there joy in that kind of opportunity in my private worship? And I think about giving to those in need. Uh, am I upset if I don't get to do it? <laughs> but just as upset if somebody finds out about it? Is it a longing in my heart for sincere, sincere relationship with my Father? So avoiding the temptation of insincerity, but also avoiding the temptation of, of pretense. Look at verses 5 through 8. And Jesus says, now, now that was giving, but when you pray, now we're going to change topics here, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be, and here's the same phrase, seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What is the word pretense technically? The word pretense means an unwarranted claim, a charade. Uh, a hoax. It's something that's not genuine. In other words, Jesus says to his disciples, now he's not talking to unbelievers. Remember, he's talking to you and me. He says, be careful that you don't just pretend to pray. What an odd thing to say to followers of Jesus. We, we know that, that prayer should be part of the very fabric of our lives, but Jesus says, just be warned. Be careful lest you slip into pretend prayer, which really is, is meant to uh, please people. Again, if you come back to verses 5 and 6, what's going on here? They're praying in this way. Why? So that they may be seen by others. They're pretending before man. When they stand up to pray on the street corner, again, they're, they're not standing up to pray on the street corner. It just happened to be where they were, and they knew, remembered a prayer request and just kind of stopped right there and prayed for it. I have a friend that uh, I'm always careful when I'm with him to share a prayer request with him because it doesn't matter where we are. We, we could have been at one of the Cardinals playoffs games with 46,000 other people. I've said, you know what, I really want you to you know, pray for Jordan his senior year. It's kind of tough. He said, Lord, we just stop right there and we'd start praying. And I'm like, why should a pastor be embarrassed by that? What's wrong with me? There's something, there's something wrong about that. So there, there is a person that does that very genuinely, but Jesus is saying, be careful because that's not how most of us are wired. <laughs> Most of her wired to say, you know what, boy, if I step up and pray, right? A pastor just said, would somebody pray? I'll step up and pray. I'll look pretty good. The pastor can feel that way too. When, when some of y'all invite me to, to go to dinner stuff and it comes time to pray for the meal, why is everybody looking at me? <laughs> What's up with that? You know? But I'm like, I, I should pray. That's what I should do. And it, it ought to be a good prayer. You know? they, they invited me to dinner. Better, better be worth, worth the invitation. How is that focused on God? How's that focus on a genuine life of worship? And so Jesus says, be careful because you can pretend before man. But even more interestingly, he says, be careful not to actually pretend before God. He says, the hypocrites want to be praised by man. But what are the Gentiles, the pagans, the people that, that are, that are kind of outside the family and, and, and aren't really getting it? Where, what are they after? Don't be like the Gentiles. They pray. What do they do? They think they'll be heard for their many words. They end up being verbose. They end up going on and on and on. And they think, the more I practice, the more I do this, the more this, this God will have to sit back and go, wow, they must really be sincere. They've been praying for 20 minutes. My goodness, how impressive is that? Because that's how they look at the world. 
They look at the world as, wow, if you really believe in something, you're going you're, you're to do it even more than everybody else. And Jesus says, don't be silly. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Don't pretend before your father. Don't, don't look at it that way, but rather trust him completely. Say what needs to be said in the quietness of your own room with the door closed. Open a sincere and genuine heart to your father. Don't, don't let there be any pretense. Don't pretend praying because at best it's a temporary fix. Have, have you heard about um, this guy Donald Miller from Ohio? I just read about this in the, in the newspaper this morning. Um, oh, it's an Ohio man who appeared before court last Monday and is legally dead, the judge ruled. <laughs> Donald Eugene Miller Jr. was declared dead in 1994, eight years after he disappeared from his home in Arcadia in Ohio. On Monday, Judge Allen Davis of Hancock County said Miller is still legally dead because a death ruling cannot be changed after three years of being passed. <laughs> Miller, 61, told the court he was an alcoholic and he left town because he lost his job and he was unsure of what to do. He wants to reverse the death ruling so he can get a driver's license and reinstate his social security number. But wait, it gets better. <laughs> Miller's former wife, Robin Miller, opposed Miller's attempt to reverse the ruling. <laughs> you better stay dead. <laughs> She's been receiving Social Security death benefits for her children. She cannot afford to have him come back to life. Miller running away because he had a, a, a real-life problem. I'm, I'm not doubting that his problem was very serious, uh, and his challenges were, were clearly huge. But at, at best, it was a temporary fix. And, and he was foolish to think that it would be as simple as walking to a courthouse and saying, oh, you know, just have it all taken care of and that it wouldn't impact other people's lives. How foolish am I when the center of my attention in my prayer life is to look good? How on earth does that, does that serve my spiritual relationship with my Father? How on earth does that actually serve the body of Christ to which I'm called? We must be so careful to avoid not only insincerity, but Jesus says to avoid pretense. And then one other uh, thing to avoid, and that is ostentation. That's a great word. I just wanted to use that word this morning. Um, ostentation. Look at, look at verses 16 through 18. And when you fast. Talk about when to look good in front of people. I just did it right there with you guys. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What do we mean by ostentation? And most of you know this word. It means it's about me. Uh, look, at how, look at how great I am. Look at how spiritual I am. I call it a, a flamboyance in false worship. And notice the flamboyance here takes on the form of kind of, you know, oh, woeful me. You know, oh, you don't look too well. What's wrong? I'm fasting. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not eating today. And I'm, could you help me to my chair? I'm a little, little my sugar's a little low. And we, we make it all about us. And Jesus says, would you just, you know, get up and do what you normally do? But, you know, wash your face, put on your makeup, get whatever you do, get ready, get, wear your normal clothes, and don't say a word to anybody. 
except one person. Talk to your father. Lord, I'm, I'm skipping a couple meals today because I just want to spend time with you because I need your direction in my life. I want to learn what Jesus said in that back in John chapter 6. You could actually go and look in that, in that chapter that we read a few minutes ago where Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my father. That, that's the manna that I receive from heaven. I'm actually nourished by, by serving God. And for, for you and for me as disciples to have the exercise of fasting in our private worship, but do it in a way that actually nourishes our souls, that actually is built on a true worship of God. I had a friend one time who fasted for 40 days. Uh, Jesus, uh, before his earthly ministry began, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And I had a friend, um, oh gosh, probably about 15 years ago that did that. And he did his very best to not, you know, just be out there talking about it with lots and lots of people. Now, if you fast for 40 days, at the end of 40 days, you're going to look different than you did at the beginning of the 40 days, like by a long shot. So it wasn't that he could completely hide, you know, but at some point his clothes were kind of basically hanging off of him. But he was very sincere in his worship of God. And he said, I'm doing this because I just, I want to draw closer to Christ. I compare him to a, a, a false prophet, uh, a, a charade, a con artist, uh, a person who uses Christianity for his own benefit, and I, and I, uh, I don't make any bones about my uh, disagreement with what he does. A guy named Benny Hen, who wrote this to some of his followers in 2006. We have recently taken delivery of our Gulfstream G4 SP plane, which we will call Dove One. I've enclosed a beautiful photo-filled brochure to explain more about this incredible ministry tool that will increase the scope of our abilities to preach the gospel around the globe. Now we must pay the remainder of the down payment. And I am asking the Lord Jesus to speak to 6,000 of my precious partners to sow a seed of $1,000 each in the next 90 days. And I am praying, even as I write this letter, that you will be one of them. I won't say what I hope happened because it has something to do with a plane crash and that would be wrong of me. <laughs> but the insincerity, the, the pretense and the, and the ostentatious approach of that is revolting. It, and, and I don't say that being judgmental of this person. I'm saying that in light of what Scripture says about our care for others and our worship of God. And it's very clear that when I worship God privately as God calls me to, focusing on Him, whether it be in giving or in prayer or in fasting, whatever the case may be, my soul is nourished. My, my spiritual life is fed. That's the whole point. I, I pointed out to you that in each one of them it said, you know, to be seen by others and they have received their reward. But what is Jesus go on to say, if, if we really get it right, we're, if we really long for our Father's presence in our lives, if the actions of our private worship actually reflect a heart that is sincere, that is humble and not filled with, with pretenses, is genuine and it's longing for Christ, and, and realizing that it's not about me, but it's about focusing on Christ, what does it say? It says our Father will reward us. What's the best reward God could give you? It's not money. It's not stuff. It's for His presence in your life. The very best thing I could have is the presence of the Spirit of God 
and the word of God dwelling in my heart every day. Ultimately, what's your reward at the end of this life? Is it not to be in the very presence of God? We just sang about worthy is the lamb this morning and, and being in the presence of God to, to give him glory and to, and to walk with him in intimacy for all of eternity. And Jesus is saying that can begin right now if we understand what it means to privately worship. So how do you take this and, and, and kind of apply it? How do, you, how do you build this into your life? How do I build this into my life? And just a, a couple of thoughts here as we wrap up. The first one is just to remember some things. Remember that insincerity must move to a radical generosity privately, <laughs> which is celebrated by our Father and benefits those in need. I think it really would be cool if I focused my giving on loving my Father. Other people really would benefit more. <laughs> There, there would be a greater impact on the people around me because I would give more lavishly because that's what my father's done for me. God didn't hold back when I had a need. God gave me the very, 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 very best thing he could possibly give me, which is representing this cross, the Lord Jesus himself as a sacrifice for my salvation. How could I not joyfully reflect that to others? Pretense moves to humility it moves me and it moves you to repentance, which brings to us our Father's forgiveness. When you know you've offended somebody, I don't mean like you just kind of, you know, did something not too good, but I mean you've really offended somebody. And it's somebody you love. It's a, it's a wife or it's a husband or it's a child or, you know, somebody really close to you. And you go to them and you confess your sin to them and they say, you know what, friend or husband or wife, mom or dad or child, it's okay, I forgive you. How do you feel at that moment? I actually always ask that question in premarital counseling. How, how, would, your, how would the disagreement go if you went to your soon-to-be spouse and said, I was wrong, would you forgive me? And the answer is the same all the time. It would stop dead in its tracks. There would be no place for it to go. All the life would be sucked out of it because we've asked for forgiveness. It restores the relationship. And as we move away from pretense, and we move into humility and repentance in our private worship, it brings us into, into our Father's forgiveness, which is the safest place we could ever be. And then just one other thought. This idea of, of me first, this ostentatious, it needs to move to a longing to give God all the glory and celebrate His goodness as we worship Him. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray for uh, myself and for my brothers and sisters here. Uh, as we think about who we worship when nobody's looking, Jesus says, be, at the end of the day, be careful not to worship yourself. <laughs> be careful not to be at the, at the, put yourself at the center of your worship, but rather to put your Father at the center of your worship. So Lord, whether it's uh, offering a helping hand or giving to someone in need, Lord, whether it's our, our prayer lives, uh, whether it's, it's taking a day every so often just to say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not eat today because I want to focus on your goodness and your provision for me. Lord, I pray that you would guard us from the temptation of putting ourselves at the center of that. That we would, we would worship you with a genuine heart that longs to know you and to love you because you have first loved us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.